Well, good evening. It's, it's a real joy to be back. Thank you, Pastor Kelly, for the invitation to come back to Kempsville and to be able to be part of one of your Monday night services. I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, I made it in time. Last time I came, I, I was so engrossed in studying uh, for an cu- upcoming message that I missed my flight. And so uh, this time I got to the airport real early and I watched that gate like a bird dog and I was ready to get to Virginia. I've been praying uh, for about uh, two or three days about what the Lord wanted me to to share with you. And and I, I said to the pastor this afternoon, I believe the Lord wanted me to preach from the book of First John. So uh, if you have your Bible tonight, I invite you to find First John chapter 5. Now, this is a great book, the book of First John. And in the, the book of First John, there are two verses that are some of the greatest verses on prayer in all the Bible. And I want to show them to you tonight. And I want to uh, unpack these verses before us in 1 John chapter 5. And I want to look at verse 14 and 15. Now, who's this message for tonight? Well, you're, you're in a great church under a great Bible pastor. So I'm sure all of you know how to pray. But maybe there's someone in the room and you have never felt... Uh, confidence in your prayer life. Maybe you have never been discipled and you've never been taught how to pray biblically. And so this message God's going to use in your life. Some of us in this room, we are not uh, satisfied with our prayer life. Zondervan Publishing uh, did a online survey a few years ago and they asked people how satisfied they were with their prayer life and only 4% responded And they said that they felt like they really prayed with power. So if that be the case, probably about 96% of us, maybe in the room, at times feel like our prayer life is cold and stale. Maybe there's some of you in this room, you're frustrated in your prayer life. Because you've been praying for something and God uh, hasn't answered you. Well, I'm going to tell you what I tell my kids often. No is an answer. And sometimes we get mad because we feel like God hasn't answered us. He just didn't give you the answer you wanted. So I just believe God's going to fire up his people tonight when we talk about what it means to pray a biblical prayer. And I can't wait to read two verses. So if your Bible's open, look at verse 14 and verse 15 of 1 John 5. Now this is the confidence. I don't want you to forget that word. Confidence. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. I want to unpack these two verses and I want to show you what it means to pray biblically, to pray with power And how to fire your prayer life up tonight. Now, I want you first of all to hear this. Anything that gets you praying is good. It may look bad. You may have a sour experience going on in your life. But anything that will get you on your knees. Anything that will get you focused back on God. Anything that will get you praying is not bad. It's good. Some time ago, I had a uh, lady in our church family, a mother, and she said to me, she said, Pastor Jeff, my prayer life has greatly increased. I said, why is that? She said, my son just bought a motorcycle. (laughs) And she says, I'm praying like crazy now. You know, sometimes you can hear news or even get a letter, and it can cause you to get on your knees and pray. Listen to a letter that a mom received from her student who was at youth camp, And his name was Cole, and he wrote back home. He said, Dear Mom, our camp leader told us all to write to our parents in case you saw the flood on the television and worried we were okay. Only one of our tents and sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us drowned because we were all on the mountain looking for Chad when it happened. Oh, yes, please call Chad's mom and tell her he's okay. He can't write because his arm's in a cast. 
Our youth pastor, Mr. Webb, got mad at Chad because he went out alone on a hike without telling anyone. Chad said he did tell him, but no one heard him because it was during the fire. Did you know if you put gasoline on a fire, the gas can will blow up? The wet wood wouldn't burn, but one of our tents did, also all of our clothes. We will be home on Saturday if Mr. Webb gets the car fixed. It wasn't his fault that we had the wreck. Mr. Webb is a neat guy. Don't worry, he's a good driver. In fact, he is teaching Tommy how to drive, but he only lets him drive on the curvy, windy mountain roads where there isn't any traffic. Also, Wade and I threw up. Mr. Webb said it was probably just food poisoning from the leftover chicken. He said they would get sick that way when he he ate food like that in prison. I'm so glad he got out of prison and became our youth pastor mom. I have to go now. We are going into town to mail our letters and to buy shotgun shells. Don't worry any about anything, Mom. We're fine. Love, Cole. Well, after that mom received that letter, she got on her knees and started praying. I want you to come up close and hear this. Anything that's going on in your life right now that's causing you to pray is not bad. It is good. Tell me what God does apart from prayer. As I look at the New Testament, as I read the Word of God, I don't see many things that God does apart from His people calling out to Him in prayer. What I believe is everything that God wants to do in me and with me and through me, He does it through prayer. So as we look at these two verses tonight, there is some wonderful truth. And for many of you in a great church under a great pastor like this, you're just going to be refreshed and reminded of some things That we have a tendency to forget. But I want you to look at these verses. And I'm going to give you three words tonight. Right from these verses. About prayer. And the first word is the word confidence. Do you see that word? You ought to underline it in your Bible right now. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. Many Christians lack confidence when they pray. Perhaps some of you in this room do. You lack confidence confidence when you call on God in prayer. But the people of God, we're to be confident people. See, John loved that word confidence or boldness. He would use it many times in the book of 1 John. And the word confidence or boldness, it means that you have freedom of speech. It it means that uh, you have faith in a living God that you call on. And we are to be confident when we pray. Solomon would write in Proverbs, the righteous are as bold or confident as a lion. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say about confidence, I'm not saying you boss God around. God's not some bellhop that grabs your bags and carries them wherever you want him to. You don't tell God what to do. There's no vacancy in the Trinity, so don't apply for the job. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is the master. He is Lord. And we are His servants. So when we say confidence, we're not saying, God, you better do this. No, it is showing us how we are to come to the Lord in prayer. And we are to come to Him with confidence. And why do we have this confidence? Well, the Bible teaches us for two reasons. First of all, we've been accepted. We've been accepted. And so when you pray with confidence, you realize that you are in God's family and you belong to Him. Notice what John would write in verse 14 again. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That's a powerful phrase, in Him. And and it means that when we pray, God turns toward us. Jesus taught us this. He said, when you go and pray in the secret place, when you go in secret, God's face turns toward you. Do you have a secret place to pray? There was a movie that came out last year called War Room. Do you have a war room? Do you have a prayer closet that you go and talk to God? Now, here's the most awesome thing. When you talk to God, you're talking to the Father. You've been accepted. And the reason you have this acceptance, it's all because of what Jesus did for you, me, us on the cross. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, listen to this scripture, Hebrews 
10.19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So what gives me boldness and you confidence when you pray? We've been accepted by the shed blood offering that Jesus made on the cross And now the veil of the temple has been torn and we're able to enter into the very throne room of God and we can approach Him as our Father. You know, in the Old Testament, when they would approach God, they would approach Him through uh, animal sacrifice, through the tabernacle, there in the wilderness, through the temple. And when they would even approach God... Uh, it would be rare that they would call him father. In the Old Testament, when God was called father, it was more in a nationalistic sense, not in a more individual. God called father, it's there, but it's rare. But when you get into the Gospels and Jesus' disciples ask him, would you teach us to pray? One of the first things out of the lips of Jesus, he said, when you pray, pray like this, our father which art in heaven. Did you know that God is called Father 70 times in the four Gospels alone? And I'm, not, and I'm not counting all the other letters in the New Testament. And so what gives us this confidence when we pray, we are the king's kids. Jesus said, call out to him, Abba, Father, Papa, God. And we are in a relationship with him. So therefore, we're not talking to a, a, a stranger. We're talking to a Father that loves us, that cares for us. We have acceptance. But there's another word I want to show you, church family, and it's the word access. See, not only do we have acceptance, we are sons and daughters of God tonight, and we can boldly approach Him, but also we have access. That means that we can come to Him at any time. At any time you can call on God. Have you ever awakened in the middle of the night, maybe in the early morning hours, let's say two or three, and you couldn't go back to sleep? That happens to me uh, quite often. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. Uh, But, you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep. You know what I believe? I really believe this, that when I wake up in the the middle of the night like that, the Lord's prompting me to pray. And that's what I do. And I'm not trying to sound super spiritual and all that. But I'm just telling you, as a, as a child of God, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I just start praying that I fall back to sleep. And by the way, that's the best way to fall back to sleep. Not Netflix, but talking to the Father. That's the best way uh, to fall asleep. And so, you know, I just believe God wakes me up because He wants me to talk to Him. And you know what is so wonderful? That when you call on God, you never get a busy signal. You never get a tacky out-of-office reply email. Uh, God is always there to listen to us. Uh, my wife found this a while back. She gave it to me, and uh, I thought I'd share it in this message. Can you imagine calling on God in prayer and getting voicemail? Listen to what someone wrote when you pray. Thank you for calling heaven. For English, press 1. For Spanish, press 2. For all other, other languages, press 3. Please select one of the following options. Press 1 for request. Press 2 for thanksgiving. Press 3 for complaints. That's when all the Baptists say, 3, 3, 3, 3, 3. <laughs> Press 4 for all others. I'm sorry, all of our angels are busy helping other sinners right now. However, your prayer is important to us and we will answer it in the order in which it was received. Please stay on the line. If you would like to speak to God, press 1. To Jesus, press 2. To the Holy Spirit, press 3. To find a loved one that has been assigned to heaven, press 5. Then enter his social security number, followed by the pound sign. (laughs) If you receive a negative response, please hang up and dial area code 666. (laughs) For reservations to heaven, please enter John, followed by the numbers 316. For answers to nagging questions about dinosaurs, life uh, on other planets, please wait until you arrive in heaven for the specifics. Our computers show that you have already been prayed for today. Please hang up and call again tomorrow. The office is now closed for the weekend. Observe a religious holiday. If you are calling after hours and need emergency, please contact your local pastor. Thank you and have a heavenly day. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that when I call on God on prayer, I don't get a busy signal. 
God hears me. We have access. You know why? Because we belong to him. Years before I was born, uh, our president in America at the time, John F. Kennedy, Life magazine did a feature uh, photo story of President Kennedy. And the world was just riveted by this photo essay in Life magazine because it showed the president in a different light. It showed him not just as a leader, but as a father. And in this particular picture I'm thinking of, President Kennedy is in the Oval Office behind the desk, and he has a real stolid uh, uh, countenance on his face. May it, it may have been during that 13-day Cuban Missile Crisis, but he has a serious countenance. But on the floor of the Oval Office, John John was playing with like a Tonka truck, and Caroline was playing with like a baby doll, and it just touched all the hearts of Americans to, to know that he not just was the president, he was a dad. But here's what I want you to understand tonight. We know someone greater than the president. We know the one that flung the stars in space. We know the one that made us in his image. We know the one that loves us. We know the one that knows the number of hairs on our head. We know the one that has ascribed our names on the palm of his hand. We know the one that keeps our tears in a bottle. And that's our Father God. And at any time, we can call on him in prayer. I have a son named Josiah. And about two years ago, he learned my cell number. Remember when your uh, kids learn your cell number? And they'll call it at the weirdest times. At the most inopportune times. And I remember I was in a very serious meeting. And my phone was ringing and it said home. And I thought, maybe Becky needs me. But it was my son Josiah. He learned my number and he was calling me all the time. So I'm like, hello, thinking it's Becky. And it's my son saying, hey, Dad. I'm like, hey, Josiah, what are you doing? I'm in a meeting, son. Oh, can I have a puppy, son? I'm not getting into this with you right now. When are you coming home, Dad? Later. Well, Dad, when you come home, will you go by Sonic and get me a blue coconut slush? And I'm like, yes. And I acted like it bothered me, but actually I love it. Because there's a day he won't call me for blue coconut slushes. He'll call me for more expensive things. But here's the point I'm trying to make. No kid in the church, no kid in the church has my cell number, nor do they call me up for their sonic orders. But my kid does because I'm his daddy and he belongs to me. I'm his father and there's nothing too big he could ask me for. There's nothing too small that I would not be concerned over. And I love him that much. Now, if I love my son and I have clay feet and I'm a sinner just like all of you in this room. If I love my son that much, how much more mega love God has for us. And that's why the Bible says that when we have a need, we can come to the throne of grace and, and boldly find help in our time of need. So I want to teach you tonight in your prayer life. Learn to pray with confidence. You belong to the Lord. You've been accepted in the family and you have access because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But there's another word tonight I want to show you. And it's the word conditions. Now, look with me again at verse number 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Circle the word if. It's a conditional word. See, Some of you need to hear this tonight. There are certain conditions that govern effective praying and prayer results. Some of us tonight feel like, you know, when we pray, the heavens are brass. We feel like, are our prayers getting through? Could it be that there's some conditions that God has set in Scripture that you are not meeting? What are these conditions that God has set in Scripture that govern effective praying? Well, one of them... We need to be pure in heart. We need to be clean before the Lord. Did did you know that when there is unconfessed sin in my life, it will actually hinder my prayers? See, when I'm, when I'm walking in disobedience, I'm not going to want to pray and I'm not going to have boldness when I pray. Let me show you something. You're in 1st John. Go back to chapter 3 of 1st John. Now, we're going to go back to 1 John 5, but look at 1 John 3 for a moment. And let me show you something. Let me show you something. Everybody put their eyeballs on 1 John 3, verse number 20. For if our heart condemns us, 
God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because it's conditional. Because we keep His commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. What does it mean when your heart condemns you? It means you have unconfessed sin in your life. And when you have unconfessed sin in your life, it will not only rob you of joy, it will rob you of confidence when you pray. I want all the husbands in the room to look at me. Men, there's a verse in the Bible that ought to just terrify us all. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And the Bible says that we husbands, if we're not loving our wives like we should, and we're not treating our wives with respect that they deserve, it can cut off our prayers. Now, your, your wife, she's had that verse memorized for years. But you need to know it. The Bible says it will hinder our prayers. I'm telling you, God is very serious about prayers being offered to Him with clean hands and a pure heart. God will use an empty vessel. God will use a broken vessel, but God will not use a dirty vessel. And He wants to make sure that our hearts are clean. Listen, I'm not meddling, but you know, Pastor invited me here to preach, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give it to you with both barrels. If, if there's unconfessed sin in your life, if there's unforgiveness in your life, if you're looking at pornography on your iPhone or your iPad, I'm gonna tell you something, it's gonna hinder your prayer life. It's gonna rob you of power, it's gonna rob you of joy, and you wonder why You can't hear God speak into your life. You wonder why the power of God doesn't fall when you pray. Because when our hands are not clean, it will affect our praying. Psalm 66, 18. You ever heard that verse? If I regard, if I cherish sin or iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. So one condition to make sure that our hands are clean, our hearts are pure. But there's another condition. Now go back to chapter 5. Go back to chapter 5. And you're going to see it. You're going to see it for yourself in verse 14. Now, if we ask anything, here it is, according to His will, He hears us. That is vital in prayer. See, in our, in our prayer life, for some reason, we've been taught that prayer is like a vending machine. And you just go and put, you know, your prayer request in the coin slot. You just kind of press what you want. And out comes that answer. Out comes that blessing. Prayer has nothing to do with my will. It has everything to do with God's will. Do you understand that? Prayer is not forcing God's hand. Prayer is not talking God into what you want. Prayer has nothing to do with my agenda. It has everything to do with the will of God. Now, when you pray, you need to desire God's will. Now, I meet people, they're afraid of God's will. You ever met someone like that? They're afraid of God's will because they think God's will's bad. Let me tell you something. God's will is not flea market material. God's will is awesome. Romans says that God's will is perfect and pleasing and always good. I like what one said. Uh, God's will is what we would ask God for if we had enough sense to ask God for it. God operates on a zero margin of error, and His will is wonderful, it's flawless. Let let me just tell you this, choir. Don't fear God's will, fear being out of God's will. Fear being out of God's will, desire God's will. Now, when you pray, you need to desire God's will. Well, some people will take a scripture like Psalm 37, 6, and they'll take that scripture out of context, they'll take that scripture, remember it, delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what they do? They say, well, Lord, you know, here's what I'm delighting in. And I just, you know, I'm delighting in a 60-inch plasma. That's what I'm delighting in. I saw it the other day at Sam's, and I'm just going to delight it right in my buggy. And so, God, would you make it happen? Let me tell you something. The Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord. What it means is you learn to pray God's will when you're so close to God, you delight in God. So what God's heart beats for, your heart beats for. What's on God's mind gets on your mind. What, what God desires, you begin to desire. I remember when, when I met my wife, I was preaching a revival. She was a student at Florida State University. And I was preaching a revival in a little country town in Florida. And she, she, she came home to see her family and was in that service that night. I had the hardest time preaching, trying to focus on the sermon and focusing on a pretty brunette out there as well. But I met her, and we began to date, and I had an engagement of a couple years. And while I was dating Becky and engaged to her, uh, 
I was a traveling youth evangelist. And Becky at the time was collecting dolls. She loved these ceramic dolls. Now she's not into that. That's so last season. I mean, you know, you know, I'm, I'm talking all bold because she's not here. She's in Georgia. I'm in Virginia. So I'm just going to act real big right now. But see what happens is, you know, my wife will like all these things and, and we'll buy them and then we'll sell them at a yard sale and we'll make like $300 and she's real proud, but it costs us $33,000 to buy all that stuff. <laughs> now I'm going to counseling for this. I just had to vent, okay? But at that time, Becky liked ceramic dolls. So wherever I went, I'd try to find her doll. Now, I'm not into dolls. I don't wear lace on my Levi's. I'm not into that stuff. But my girl was. So ever, wherever I was, you got to be very secure in your manhood to say, where's your doll section? I mean, but see, Becky liked dolls. And I delighted in Becky. So what Becky loved, I loved. Do you understand? Is that an illustration you can connect with? So when you're delighting in God, what God wants, you begin to want. We begin to pray biblical, God-centered prayers because no longer are we selfish and we're not making about us. It's about God's glory. And we, and then we need to desire God's will, then discern it. How, how do you know God's will? You know, some people, they treat God's will like a shell game. You know, you've seen the shell game. Maybe there's a bunch of shells on a table and God says, under here is my will. And then he's moving all the shells around. All right, guess which one's mine? And you open it. Psych, that's not my will. No, God doesn't do that. God's will is not a shell game. God's will is not this game that my daughter and I pray, played when she was younger. I'd come home from work. She'd hide something. And if I was near what she had hidden, I'd be hot. If I was far from it, I'd be cold. If I was in the vicinity, I would be warm. And some of us think God's will is like cold, cold, warm, getting hotter. It's hot at the altar, kneel at the altar, you'll know my will. No, 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 no. Paul said in the book of Ephesians to understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you know God's will? How do you discern it? Well, we know, number one, the Bible. I mean, God will reveal His will in the Bible. And here's what Pastor and Kelly and I have seen a lot of as pastors. There's sometimes people that will say something is God's will and it contradicts God's Word. And I'm telling you, God's will and God's Word never contradict one another. You know how you have all your devices synced up? I mean, we've got our iPhones synced to our iPads, to our Mac notebooks. Well, I'm telling you, God's will and God's Word are synced up. And they never violate one another. So don't be calling something God's will that violates God's word. And then, of course, we know God's will when we pray and when we fast. Fast? Like the Olympics? No, wrong fast. I'm not talking about running. I'm talking about flipping the plate over and not eating and seeking the Lord's face about a matter. But you can discern God's will. And here's the most important thing. You need to be ready to do God's will. I meet people often and they'll say, I want to know God's will. And you know what I want to tell them in love? No, you don't. Shut your mouth. You are just talking about the will of God, but you're not even desiring it in your life. Oswald Chambers said, you want to know what the will of God is? Do the next thing God tells you to do. I'm liking that a lot. Because, see, we, we look at the will of God as a real big, big things in life. The will of God is everyday matters. The will of God, some of the will of God, he's just put it on white paper and black ink. He says, just do this. And God's will is revealed day by day. God's God's will is not a road map, it's a relationship. And every day I surrender my life to Him, He's revealing what He wants me to do. And so that's what God says. We pray with confidence and we must meet these conditions. But let me show you our last word tonight, and it's the word certainties. And I want you to see it in verse 15. Here it is. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask... We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Do you see it? And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have. So God certainly answers prayer. It is certain. You're like, man, I've been tracking with you this whole time, Jeff. But right now, this is when I'm going to fold my arms and give you a real mean stare and hope you go back to Atlanta real soon because I don't like what you're saying because I'm telling you, I've been praying and I don't think that God always answers prayer. Again, God is not giving you the answer you want, but He's answering prayer. I had a man say this to me some time ago. Uh, I did the funeral for his wife. She died of cancer. And he got so upset that he just, after the funeral, quit coming to church and got away from the Lord. How many of you know that if you're a true, born-again, Holy Spirit indwelt follower of Jesus Christ, you can't stray from God far? Christians can't sin successfully. Do you know that? 
We're not good at sinning. You're like, man, I'm sinning my face off. You're as lost as a ball in tall weeds. We're not good with that stuff. Because if you are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, you might give God the silent treatment, but you're going to come back because you belong to Him. You're one of His own. And so this man, he started coming back, and I'm like, where have you been? He's like, well, I've been so upset. I'm mad with God. Why are you mad with God? Well, God didn't hear my prayer. What? What? God didn't answer my prayer. Well, what did you pray to God? I prayed that my wife would be healed. Where's your wife? Pastor, you know where she is. You did her funeral. She's with the Lord in heaven. Does she have cancer in heaven? And he called himself. Let me tell you something. God heals here. Sometimes God heals there. Whether here or there, God heals. God answered his prayer. He just didn't like the answer. So I'm going to tell you right now, some of us in this room just need to grow up. We just need to grow up and realize that God's ways are not your ways. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. But what would help us is to understand the answers that God gives. And I believe that there are four general answers that God gives when we pray. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but I believe that God gave me this truth. And I'm, I'm wanting to share it with you tonight. This is just some general things I'm saying. But I believe that there are four general answers that God gives. And to help you remember them, they all begin with the letter D. Okay? So here's the first one. Sometimes when we pray, God answers direct or directly. And we love when that happens. We pray about something and it's like just in a moment God just gives a breakthrough. God shows up and shows off. God just does something amazing. He answers it in such a direct fashion. I think about, you know, occurrences like this in the Bible. Remember that Abraham had a servant named Eliezer. And Abraham said to the servant, I want you to find a bride for Isaac. What an assignment. He could not bring back an ugly woman. And so, you know, he's really praying specifically that God would give him wisdom. And he prays a direct prayer. God, I'm just praying that that the next woman that comes and offers my animals some water, me some water, may she be the one. And we all know the story. Rebecca came on the scene and she became the bride of Isaac. You know, sometimes God answers a direct prayer. One of the stories that I love to tell about how God answers directly. Would you listen to this story? And I don't want to miss any of the details, so I'm going to read it. Shortly after Dallas Theological Seminary was founded in 1924. That's a great school in Dallas. Some of the people you love to hear preach went to school there like David Jeremiah, Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans. So the school was founded in 1924, but they were struggling and they were on the brink of bankruptcy. Its creditors had banded together and threatened foreclosure at 12 noon on a particular day. That morning, the founders of the seminary met in the president's office to pray that God would provide. In the meeting was a well-known preacher from Chicago named Harry Ironside. When his turn came to pray, Harry prayed in a refreshing manner. Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. (laughs) While they were still praying, a Texas cattleman came into the seminary business office and said, I just sold two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth. I've been trying to make a business deal go through and it won't work. And I feel that God is compelling me to give this money to the seminary. I don't know if you need it or not, but here's the check. A secretary, knowing something of the financial seriousness of the moment, went to the door of the prayer meeting and knocked. Dr. Lewis Schaefer responded, took the check out of her hand, saw that it was for the exact amount of the school's debt. When he looked at the signature and noted it was a cattle rancher, he looked at Dr. Ironside and said, Harry, God just sold the cattle. (laughs) Sometimes God answers a direct prayer. You know, a book that has blessed me so much in my prayer life was written by a man by the name of Ron Dunn. Pastor Kelly remembers the great Bible teacher Ron Dunn. He wrote a book years ago called Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something. And he tells this story, I'll never forget. He told the story of a godly woman, just like a a godly young woman in this church. And someone in the church was sick, so this godly woman was going to make a meal. You know what we do as Baptists, when someone gets sick, we send them a green bean casserole, don't we? 
Man, I'm telling you, those casseroles are anointed by the Holy Ghost of God. So she made some casseroles and things like that. So she's getting it all ready to put it in the oven. Phone rings. It's the school. Her, her 10-year-old son is sick. So she goes to the school. He's in the school clinic. And boy, he's hot as a firecracker. She takes him home. He, he, he has a high temperature. And so she calls the doctor. He calls in a prescription. She says to her son, now son, I'm going to run to the drugstore and get some medicine for you. I know you don't feel good, but when you hear the buzzer go off on the oven, can you take the casserole out and put the pie in, this and that and the other? And so she went to the drugstore. When she got the medicine, she's coming back to the car. She noticed she locked her keys in the ignition. So she runs back into the drugstore before cell phones and calls the house. And she says to her son, I've locked my keys out of the car. And in a a weak voice, he's like, get a coat hanger and hangs up. So she finds a wire coat hanger. That's a miracle in itself. And so she gets this coat hanger. She gets to the door and it dawns on her. She doesn't know what to do with the coat hanger. She lost it. That's when she prayed this direct prayer. Oh, God, help me. My casserole's going to burn. My son's going to probably die. I don't know what to do with this coat hanger. Would you help me get in my car in Jesus' name? Amen. And after she prayed, she saw this big, burly man. Boy, he was tough looking. He gargled peanut butter and his tongue was tattooed. And she went up to him and she took this coat hanger and she said, Do you know what to do with this? And he's like, Yeah. And in just a matter of seconds, he had her car door open. She was elated. She gave him the biggest hug and said, You are such a sweet Christian man. He backed up and said, I'm not a Christian. I just got out of jail. And that's when she said, Praise God, the Lord sent me a professional. Amen. (laughs) And all of us in this room have a testimony about how God came through in the 11th hour. Let me tell you something. When that happens to you, tell everybody in your Sunday school class. Because there's someone beside you, they're discouraged. Brag on Jesus. Stop putting all those stupid, uh, tacky posts on your Facebook wall and brag on Jesus. We don't care when you go to Disney. We don't care when you eat at a restaurant and you show us your food plate. We don't care. I've touched a raw nerve, haven't I? But brag on Jesus. Put scriptures on there and tell about how God answers prayer. Because see, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Somebody in this room is discouraged. And that's why we need to brag on Jesus when he answers the prayer directly. Let me give you another answer to Jesus. Sometimes it's direct. Sometimes it's delay. See, sometimes God is getting you ready. We often talk about wait on God, wait on God. Sometimes God's waiting on me. Sometimes God is getting me ready because I'm not ready. Remember Mary and Martha, the two sisters that had a sick brother named Lazarus? They sent word to Jesus that our brother is sick. They wanted Jesus to come. Jesus did show up, but not on their time schedule. When he showed up, Lazarus was not sick. Lazarus was dead. They get very upset with Jesus. Basically, they say, you blew it. If you'd have been here on time, this wouldn't have happened. What did Jesus do? He raised him from the dead. Tell me the greater miracle. For Jesus to get there on their timepiece and give Lazarus the Baptist drug of choice, NyQuil, or to show up late and raise him from the dead. I'm telling you, sometimes later is greater. And God's getting us ready. God's preparing us. I heard a statement. Man, I needed this. I was in my first pastorate, and I went to Ridgecrest for a uh, summer conference, and I was real discouraged in this difficult pastorate. And there was this preacher up there that night named Jimmy Draper, And he said something that so helped me. I just wrote this note down. He said, God is preparing you for what he's prepared you for. And that helped me at that moment. And it's still helping me tonight. That sometimes God is getting you ready for what you're praying for. Now, direct and delay. Here's another answer. Write it down. The different. Sometimes you pray for something and God just blows you away and gives you something totally different. You pray for something red, God gives you something blue. It's like the little boy. He's like, you know, I like my little brother, but I was praying for a puppy. (laughs) Junior Hill, I'm sure he's been here before, says the story about this guy that got out of seminary, this preacher, and he prayed that God would give him a big church and a little wife. God gave him a big wife and a little church. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that. That just came out. I'm sorry. But I'm trying to make a point. Sometimes we pray for things... 
And and just, it, it's totally different. I, 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 I went to seminary in New Orleans. And I wanted to pastor church so bad. And while I was a student in New Orleans, a church in Macomb, Mississippi called me to fill their pulpit. Locust Street Baptist Church. Macomb, Mississippi, the hometown of Jerry Clower. And so uh, I filled that pulpit for several weeks, and I just knew they were going to call me as their pastor. Kelly uh, knows my brother Scott. Uh, we are about 14 months apart. We went to school together and seminary together. And Scott, one Sunday, wanted to preach in that church. And I'm like, you can't. You're a better preacher than me. They'll like you. They'll call you, not me. I'm just telling you, they're liking me. I'm telling you, all those older ladies out there looking at me saying, the next Billy Graham, the next Billy Graham. I'm in this preacher study, and I've got a vision for it. Man, I've got a vision for all my books in the bookshelf. I was going to get a neon light for the front door of the office. Man of God, man of God, man of God. I had a vision for this church, and I just knew they were going to call me as their pastor. I was 21, and I just knew... I was the man for that church. Scott said, let me preach. You can't preach. You can't preach. They'll call you. Then he begins to look at the bulletin and he begins to laugh like a hyena. There in the bulletin, at the bottom of the bulletin, there was an announcement from the pulpit committee. And it said, after the service this morning, the pulpit committee will be recommending to the church that we call, I forget his name, Dr. Fungus Face, Dr. Smelly Foot. I don't know his name. It wasn't me. Made me so mad I changed my sermon and preached on hell that day. I'm, when I left, I gave it to him with four pearls. I was hurt. I was pouting. I was upset because they missed the will of God. That's what I thought. I've gone back to New Orleans and I don't remember. It was not too long. It was within the next week. I got a call from a man in Columbia, Mississippi. His name was Peanut Tullis. I'm not making this up. They have some weird names in Mississippi. Peanut was the deacon. There was another deacon named Dub. Dub and Peanut. They both were in their 80s and they never were married. They were bachelors. We never had issues with deacon wives in that church. I'm telling you that. Dub and Peanut. They were our two deacons. He calls me, Peanut, and asks me to come to Columbia to preach at Spring Cottage. Just to fill the pulpit. I went there. I filled in for several weeks. They eventually called me as their pastor And I'm telling you, it was the most awesome place in the world to learn to be a pastor. I learned to baptize people. I learned to lead in communion. I learned to do marriages. I I, I preached my first funeral. I learned to shepherd people as a pastor. And I'm telling you, as I look back, I can't imagine learning it anywhere else but Spring Cottage. I thought it was Locust Street, but God knew it was Spring Cottage. You know, you've got a story like that, don't you? You remember a while back you saw somebody and you almost married them? Aren't you thinking, God, they broke that engagement? You could have married Mortifer. You, we ought to have an altar call right now just to praise God for some of the prayers he didn't answer like you wanted him to answer. You could be married to, the, to someone else. You could be in another church and another job. Aren't you so glad that God is too wise to be mistaken and God is too good to be unkind? And when you don't understand and you can't trace His hand, you can still trust His heart. God is never late. God is never early. He's an on-time God. He's wise and He knows what His children need. Direct, delay, different. Here's the last one and we're done. Denial. Denial. Sometimes God says no. David David wanted to build a resting place for the tabernacle of God, the Ark of the Covenant, remember? And he was all excited about this vision and he called his preacher in. And you know all preachers are fired up about building programs. And that preacher's like, David, King, I think we ought to do it. Preacher left and God said to the preacher, you go back and tell David he's not the man for that. And he had to go tell him that and it just blew David away. David wouldn't do it, but his son would. And man, I just love that passage in the book of Samuel. It says that David... The king got off his throne and got on his knees before the throne of God and says, Who is David? Who is David that you would even use me? Don't you get mad at God when God does something different? Or even when God tells you no. A young girl grew up in a church just like Kempsville. She was saved as a teenager. She's called into missions. Went to college. Went to seminary. Went immediately to the mission field to serve God. God was using this young lady in a great way. She got sick on the mission field. Oh, she got real sick. She started having these terrible cramps. Oh, she got sick. She ended up in the hospital. They diagnosed her with Crohn's disease. She had to come back home 
family doctor looked at her and said, you're a very sick girl. You cannot go back. She said, if I don't go back, I'll die. He said, you may die if you go back. You're grounded. And so she could not go back to the mission field for a while. And she got so upset. And then God began to tell her some things. He began to say, you know what? I'm going to use your mission here. And God spoke to that girl's heart and says, I want you to go around to other churches and I want you to speak to other young people about missions and I'm going to call other people in missions through your testimony. So she started going around. Oh, I didn't tell you this. She's so weak and sick that she needed someone to drive her and her dad did. Her dad said he was an atheist. (laughs) Her dad said he didn't believe in God, but he believed in his daughter. And he would drive his daughter to all these churches. He'd set up everything for her. And then he'd sit on the back row with his arms folded, proud dad but lost soul, and listen to his daughter talk about Jesus and soul winning and missions and advancing the kingdom. He, he knew everything she'd say. He heard it so many times where she would get done and the pastor would come like Pastor Kelly and give an invitation. And on that particular night, that daddy listened to his daughter and tears started coming down his face. He fell under deep conviction. And when the pastor gave the invitation, the first to respond was that girl's daddy. He was saved. Listen to me. God told her no to the foreign mission field because God said yes for the mission field at home to save her dad. And I'm looking at some of you tonight. You know, you've been trying to sell your house forever and it won't sell, it won't sell. Could it be God has you right where he wants you? You're in a job, you feel like you're stuck. You've been, try- you've been throwing out resumes, you're linked into this and that, and nothing's opened up. Could it be that God wants you there for some specific reason? And we must learn to trust him. You know what prayer is? Prayer is just coming into the lap of our father, to the lap of our daddy, and just telling him whatever's on our heart. It is true intimacy with the father. We can bring anything to him. We can come with boldness when our hands are clean, when his will is the priority of our life. We can have assurance that he hears us, he loves us, and he's always going to do what's best for us, for our good, for his glory. Last story, and I'm done. There was a man that was in a hospital. He's very sick. He's dying of cancer. Oh, it was bad. And he didn't have long to live. He was pumping that morphine button. The pain was wrecking his body. But you know what he loved to do? He loved to watch a pastor that was on TV that pastored a First Baptist Church downtown. And he'd listen to this pastor preach all the time. And, and one day he got the courage enough to call that church office. And he met a real sweet secretary like Miss Sharon. And, and he said, I listened to the pastor and I, I'd love to meet him personally. I have no idea if he'd come visit me. You know what that pastor did? He would do just what your pastor would do. He went and saw that man. Didn't even know him. And here now that pastor walks into the room of this sick man. And the first thing the sick man says from the bed, you're, real, you're taller in real life. He's like, man, I love to hear you preach. I admire you. I listen to you every time you're on. He's like, thank you for coming. I, I just have a question. C- can you help me here? He said, I mean, you know, you might think this is silly, but... He said, you know, I love to talk to the Lord in prayer. And, you know, sometimes when I pray and talk to the Lord, you know, this chair beside my hospital bed, sometimes I'll just imagine that Jesus is in that chair. And, and I'll pray. And, I mean, I know Jesus is not the chair. And, and I know that literally He's not in the chair. But when I pray, I'm just, I feel like He's that close to me. Is that wrong? I mean, if it's irreverent, I'll quit praying like that. pastor says, no, that's true prayer because He is close He's one that sticks closer than a brother. He is in the very midst. You keep praying like that. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor left. A couple days later, the man died and went to heaven. Family comes in there to surprise him on a special occasion. They walk in there, found him dead. They quickly call for the nurses. I mean, all these doctors come in there too late. He's gone. They they look on the tray of the hospital uh, food tray, and they see the pastor's card, and they're like, did this pastor come and see our dad? They call the church. Sharon, he comes down again to see the family. The pastor walks in the room. They're like, were you here to see our father? He's like, yes. They said, can you help us? Because when we came in, we got the shock of our life. But when we came in to see our dad, he's in the hospital gown. He's dead. And and his head was laying in a chair just like this. And we found him just like this. And he was dead. Can you please tell us what was going on with our dad? And that pastor looked at them and said, your dad died in the lap of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. You have a father that knows you by name. 
cares for you. There's nothing too big that will overwhelm him. And there's nothing too small that he would say to you. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? My mom and dad just celebrated their 64th wedding anniversary on Friday. My dad's 82. Mom's 81. They live in Jacksonville, Florida. I call my parents so often. I just love to hear their voice on the phone. I love to call my dad, get advice from me, run things by him. And I think about that often. Boy, there'll come a day one day that I'll call 641-3439 and they won't answer the phone. They'll be in heaven. And I think about the love that I have that I can call my dad. And if I love that so much, how much more to have a Father in heaven that will never die, never get a busy signal. We can call on Him anytime and He hears us and He loves us. Now let me tell you, if that's all true, why have you went days without praying? Why have you lost your confidence in praying? Why would you be flirting with sin and eating the devil's cotton candy and not approaching the throne of God and praying with boldness as a righteous son or daughter of God has privilege to do? Let's stop playing around. I mean, our country's in a mess. We need to pray. Quit giving your opinions on social media. I'm so sick and tired of hearing everybody's opinion. I want to tell the whole world on social media, Shut up! Now, all you kids, you didn't hear a preacher just say that ugly word. But I'm just telling you, we need to stop talking and we need to start praying. Call on God. Let's do it right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm so thankful for the privilege to be at Kempsville. Thank you, Pastor Kelly, for the invitation. Thank you for being so attentive and respectful as the Word of God has been preached. And give thanks to God that you're here tonight. I mean, God brought you here. You know what? You had a lot going on today. I'm sure many of you are tired. But the Lord wanted you here because he, he, he showed you some stuff in the Word tonight that you needed that you needed to hear. Now, don't audit the sermon. Don't audit the sermon. Act on this biblical truth. Confess any sin in your life. Ask God to forgive you for forcing your will and not desiring His will. Learn to pray with boldness. And trust God even when He gives you an answer that you weren't expecting. All things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now, tonight, if you've never prayed to ask Jesus to be your Savior, that's the greatest prayer ever framed on lips, is to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. Save me. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord... We'll be saved, according to Romans 10 and 13. He's a whosoever God. And if you call on Him tonight, He'll save you. Maybe tonight you're a believer and you're saved. You just need to find a place at the altar. You've got a wayward grandchild. It wouldn't surprise me tonight. In this room, there's some prodigal grandchildren. There's some prodigal sons and daughters. Maybe you've got a loved one. They're in the bondage of homosexuality. Maybe you've got a granddaughter or daughter who's a lesbian and you're wringing your hands. I cannot believe that they've been so duped by the devil and deceived and they're in bondage. What do I do? Pray for them. Intercede for them. Have you just received news from a doctor about a diagnosis? Bring it to God. Whatever needs in your life, you can take it to the Lord. You know what? People of God need to come to the altar tonight and just seek His face. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your leadership tonight to lead us to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Thank you for the power of the word of God. When we hear the word and when we obey the word, our lives will be changed. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, now we make this prayer. Amen.